you know, if they had lasers in the 1500s, they had a laser focus. I guess you said they had a compass and protractor focus on scripture alone. It was central and vital to them. And so many of their disagreements with the Catholic Church was over this issue of scripture alone. And so if you know a little bit about the Catholic Church, they have some teachings that are different from the Protestant Church. Things like purgatory, or Mary of the Saints, or the celibacy of the clergy. And you may wonder, where'd that come from? Well, in the Catholic Church, they have two pillars of authority. And one is scripture, and the other is tradition. And by tradition, they mean the writings of the early church fathers who wrote in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th centuries. And they wrote a ton. In fact, they wrote so much of letters and books and sermons that if we did not have a single manuscript of the Greek New Testament, we could put it all together just by using their letters and books and sermons. That's how much they wrote. It's a lot. Volumes and volumes and volumes. And so they, they wrote a ton. And so in the Catholic Church, they have two pillars of authority. The Bible and tradition. These early church fathers. And the Reformers said, you know what? No. We're going to go with just those eyewitnesses of Jesus. That's going to be authoritative for us. And so they, they tossed out those doctrines that they didn't find in the Bible. And so can, can we just give a little amen that the celibacy of the clergy got tossed out? And it's not that important to you. It's really important to me. So thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right? It's good. It's good. And the reformers were just focused on Scripture alone. In fact, that's a continued focus today. So we have some elders in our congregation here at Gracious Savior. Uh, Scott, and then Bill Bevan, and then Mike Rose, where's Mike? And then John Pruitt is also one of our elders. And one of their jobs is, is to make sure that whatever I preach and teach is in accordance with the Bible. And if there's something that isn't, or if I'm unclear about something, or misstate something, or anything like that, their job is to call me on it. That's what they do. They haven't done it yet, but that's what they're supposed to do. If that ever happens, they're going to call me on it. And if I say to them, you know what, forget it, I don't care what the Bible says, I believe this is correct, then their job is to get me out of here. That's their role. So the Protestant church takes the scripture alone very, very seriously. And we can do that. We can take scripture alone very, very seriously. Because they're good documents. The documents we can trust. They have, as they, the scholars say, great internal and external attestation. You're like, that's a big word, and it's still early. So let's walk through that. Let me give you an example. All right. So how many of you studied uh, Roman history, the history of Rome in school? I mean, like you took a Western Civ class or something like that. Okay. A lot of what you learned is based on the history of a guy named Tacitus. And Tacitus wrote around 100 AD, and he wrote 16 volumes of the history of Rome. Everybody say, amen to Tacitus. 16 volumes, that's crazy. I can't write 16 volumes on anything, right? 16 volumes on the history of Rome. And much of what you learned in Western Civ, in the history of Rome, is from this guy named Tacitus. So today... There is one copy of Tacitus' history. One copy. We have one manuscript 
of volumes one through six that Tacitus wrote. Tacitus wrote. And that one copy is from 850 AD. 750 years after Tacitus wrote. 750 years. Volumes 7 through 10 are lost. We have no idea what happened to them. Volumes 11 through 16 are also on one manuscript. And that was copied around 1000 AD. About 900 years after the original was written. So much of what we know, what we know about history of Rome is based off two manuscripts written hundreds and hundreds of years after the original was written. And we say we can place our trust in that. Because we believe it was copied faithfully. How many manuscripts of the Greek New Testament do you think exist today, that we found today? Throw out a number. Just give me a guess. Throw out a number. 100. 100. There you go. Any other numbers? 100. Do I hear 200? 200, 200, 200. I hear 200, 200. Right? Anybody else? A number. Throw out a number. 1,000. 1,000. That's a great number. But you were wrong. <laughs> Over 5,500 manuscripts of the New Testament exist today in Greek. Now if you take the early translations of Latin and Syriac and Armenian and Coptic, and you add those, there are 24,000, over 24,000 manuscripts of the Greek New Testament in existence today. 24,000. That's what we call great external attestation. Here's what's great internal attestation. Those manuscripts were written all over the Roman Empire. So in, in Rome and in modern-day Greece, so Ephesus was a big spot, uh, Antioch, uh, Alexandria in north, northern Africa, right? And you get these manuscripts from all different spots of geography, and you put them together like, wow, they all say the same thing. They agree. They agree. Isn't that incredible? It, it's absolutely incredible. There's no comparison in ancient literature anything close you know what the closest comparison we have? is Homer's Iliad. Homer's Iliad was like the Bible for the ancient Greeks, right? They love the Iliad, right? It was, it's a great... Have you read the Iliad? Yes, it's a great story, right? You're like, I read half of it. <laughs> it's the poetry. I can't get to the poetry, right? Homer writes the Iliad around 800 B.C. And there are 600 copies of Homer's Iliad. 600, that's a lot. That's pretty good. The earliest copy is from about the first century AD, about 900 years later. And no one ever says, is this really Homer's Iliad? Are we the right copy? You know, the first copy we have is 900 years after the fact. Everyone goes, no, it was, it was copied correctly. It was copied well. And we can tell because we've got 600 other copies, and we look at it and go, yep, it's the same Homer's Iliad. It's the same story. You know the earliest copy of the Greek New Testament we have? It's from the Gospel of John. It's from 100 AD. Just some perspective. We believe Gospel of John was one of the last books of the Bible written. So it's written around 60, 70 AD. So we have a manuscript that dates about 30 to 40 years after the original. 
compare that to Tacitus and his history, 900 years apart. The Bible? Yeah, 30 to 50 years apart. And there's 5,500 copies. That's great internal attestation. It's great external attestation, which means it's a scripture you go, yep, they recorded it faithfully. The eyewitness testimony got recorded faithfully. And here's the cool part. It's God's love letter to you. It's God's love letter to you. I'll give you an example. When, uh, when I was in college, I uh, went away to college, and my grandma, um, because she had a lot of health issues, uh, and her hearing wasn't the best, she would write to me in college. And uh, I would get her letter, and I knew myself. I knew if I opened it and read it and put it down, I wouldn't write her back because it's college, right? So I, I made myself a rule. I couldn't, write, I couldn't open the letter until I had time to write my grandma back. And so I would write her back. And so um, I have dozens, dozens of letters for my grandma and I that we used to write back and forth when I was in college. And we did that for about four years. Uh, and then she passed away uh, 20 years ago, in 1997. And... Um, these letters have been in my possession for four different moves, right? Four different moves. So four times I'm going, do I keep them? Do I throw them out? I don't know. And I always end up keeping them. It's not because there's anything special in these letters. I'm not being cruel or heartless. My, my grandma, um, she had some medical issues, which she would write about in great detail. <laughs> There are some images I will never shake, you know? It's like, oh, Grandma, no, 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 no. And the other thing is, she never liked to write about herself. So she would never write about, you know, her life growing up as a child, you know, or what my dad was like as a kid. You know, she never wrote about stuff like that. She would write about what the neighbors or friends were doing or what she had for dinner or the weather, you know? That's what she'd write about. And you're going, thanks, Grandma, you know? It's... There's nothing really great about the content. Other than the fact that every letter ended with, I love you very much, love Grandma. And they remind me of her and her love for me because she spoiled me rotten and I loved her for it. The Bible is God's love letter to you. It's, it's his story. It's history. It's his story. Which means it's, it's your story, too. It's a story about a plan of salvation that God set in motion from the very beginning. And God said, you know what? I'm going to make things work for my people who I've created, and I will provide a way out. And we see this path all throughout history. And we see the faithfulness of God's people, and we see their utter lack of faithfulness from time to time. And we see it culminate in the person of Jesus Christ, who's born in Bethlehem, born of the Virgin Mary, suffers and dies under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and buried. And the third day rises from the grave. For you. Because he loves you. And the story, your story, continues 
how Jesus sends 12 ordinary dudes. He says, all right, go out and make other disciples. And they literally turn the world upside down in this their generation. How upside down? Well, people copied the story 5,500 times because it meant that much to them. And they copied it down so that you would know. So that you could know that God loves you. So you could know that Jesus Christ died upon a cross for you and rose to the grave for you. So you could know that you are a child of God, redeemed by a gracious Savior. So you could know that your identity is rooted not in who you are or what you've done or what you've accomplished or what your past is, but in God's incredible love for you. And Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection for you. The Bible was given to you so that you might know that you have a hope and a future and a joy that no one can take away from you, no matter how hard they try. And so when we say sola scriptura, what we're really saying is this. God has given you a gift. It's a treasure. And I pray that you have some time this week and you go, man, I... I'm going to open this thing up and see what's in here. And I promise you, there are no gross medical descriptions in the Bible. Actually, no, I don't promise you that. There's a couple. I'm not going to describe them to you, but Judges chapter 3. All right. But if it's your first time, flip to a gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And you'll meet Jesus again, or maybe for the first time. And you'll see there, there is no one else like Jesus. Ever. And you'll get to meet this incredible person. This incredible person who, who speaks hard words to hard-hearted and soft words to the broken-hearted. This incredible person who, who is God in the flesh and sacrifices everything for you. And he says, go now and live. Knowing that you're loved. Knowing that you're forgiven. Knowing that you're saved. Knowing that you have a purpose. And if you're going through life going, I'm not sure what my purpose is, and I'm not sure if I'm loved, and I'm not sure if I have hope, and I'm not sure if I have a future, I want to invite you, crack open that love letter one more time and give it another look. Because it's God's gift to you. Amen? May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, may guard your heart, your mind, in Christ Jesus our Lord for life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray.